We're going to take a break on Deuteronomy this week. Uh, partly it's just been one of those weeks I would like more time. Uh, but in particular, uh, you know, we're going to have a hiatus in the evening. We're done with Philippians. We're waiting on books uh, of Nehemiah to come in. And uh, in a little while, I'll be preaching through Nehemiah based on Sessions' request. We'll have some thematic sermons. I, I have a scripture I wanted to preach t- tonight. Uh, this morning in Deuteronomy, it'll be nice to have that match of a topical sermon, uh, but also it's a very challenging text in Deuteronomy we're coming to, not really to understand, but I just want to make sure I have enough time to really think about it and how to present it to you. And so yesterday, um, uh, the Lord, uh, I, I hope it is the Lord that directed me to this text as I was back and forth from here in the house, uh, rocking the sun's um, getting them sleep before I can come back and work after the breakfast. And I was listening to a, a podcast where I thought, ah, uh, the scripture that came up in the context, uh, yeah, I want to come here with you. I want to come here and think about this with you. So it's a topical sermon uh, based on verse 19 of Lamentations 2. And in particular, uh, the phrase that I've been highlighting already, that we would pour out our hearts before the Lord like water. That's what we're going to focus on today. But I am going to give you a sense of the book as a whole and its context as we would be called upon the Lord to do this. That being said, it won't be comprehensive. It is a topical sermon, but I hope to to give you a sense of the book and uh, particularly assisted by my professor of Old Testament in Hebrew, as I'll explain in a moment. It was an interview with him about his book, uh, about this book, and it's called The Shadow of Christ in the Book of Lamentations. So we'll particularly look for Christ here as we're called to pour out our heart like water before the Lord in repentance, remembering how can we do that as we respond to Christ, as we saw in Psalms twenty-two, fourteen, as we just sang. He poured out his soul, his life like water for us on the cross. Hear now the word of the Lord, Lamentations 2, verse 19. Arise, cry out in the night, and in the beginning of the watches, pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thine hands toward him for the life of thy young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. Let me read that one more time. Arise, cry out in the night in the beginning of the watches. Pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thy hands toward him for the life of thy young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. And we will consider this context of the verse, its beginning and end in its greater context of the book. But what we're focusing on today in this topical sermon is this phrase, Pour out thine heart like water before the Lord. That's the call upon you today. Pour out your heart like water before the Lord. Before the face of the Lord. Well, I'm enjoying preaching to you especially today. Because I'm not afraid that my tooth is going to fly out on Mrs. Raglan. Like we've been joking. As you know, my fake tooth for a second time in my life decided it was going to try to come out and have a little party. And um, I'm so thankful that, uh, as you know, this week it was restored. I'm still getting used to it because it's 
I won't bother you to distract you how distracted I was preaching for you last week, keeping it up with my tongue and <laughs> feeling all these things. I'm so happy. And so I got a little silly with most of you. I think most of you got my texting message. I couldn't resist reflecting what we joked about throughout the week. Um, you first got a message from me. Hey, some pretty good options came up for my tooth. Let me show you. The first picture was me with little coconut strips hanging down, like I had gone with the, the bunny walrus look. Didn't cost a whole lot extra. Then, oh, just kidding, here's the next picture. And I had those funny teeth I got from Party City. You know, they're all split and yellow. That's the best they could do with what they were working with. Thankfully, it matched the color better. <laughs> no, just kidding. Then you saw the next one. I had gotten those little Dracula teeth. By the way, they were all so cheap, I couldn't resist to play this out. $1.50? Okay, I'm going to have some fun. And I said, I was thinking of these, they're nice and white, but I didn't want to scare you while I'm preaching, you know. And you guys are all starting to respond with laughter along the way. And then, uh, of course, I went with the chiclet gum and said, no, of course, I really went with the Mr. Wilson look here, you know. Since I'm often told I'm like Mr. Wilson, Dennis, with some of the children at their toddler ages. But then, of course, the last picture, I got my real tooth back in my head again, and uh Appreciate your prayers for me. I'm so thankful it was covered, and uh, it's it's nice. It's amazing how different it is when it isn't correct. Or and it's funny he that dentist pulled it out like nothing. I mean it was it was it was all ready to come out. He just I'm like oh, and he made me look at the hole. I felt, oh. So I was just so happy, and I had fun with you with those pictures about the pretend teeth. Thanks for uh, having a, a chummy time with me, following along with the the, the tongue in cheek joke. Um, and as we were referencing in those texts, a merry heart doeth good like medicine, right? There's a time, the Bible says in Proverbs several times, a merry heart doeth good like medicine. Just having laughter, it's a healing thing, it's a blessed thing. And, uh, but here's the thing. Sometimes. Sometimes. What I love about the scriptures is they are balanced and cover all areas of life. Sometimes. It's very appropriate to make merry and laugh and enjoy some, you know, I would say self-deprecating humor and not making fun of others, uh, no sarcasm against others, but just having a good time laughing together, laughing not at one another, but with one another as we're welcomed into, into laughter together. Sometimes there's a place for that, the scripture's saying, it's like medicine, right? But other times, crying is better. If you want to hear uh, at least one sermon, if not a few, on those Proverbs about a merry heart and laughter, uh, you can hear those. We've done those before on Sermon Audio, but I'm not sure I've had one. We talk about this a lot, as we've talked about depression and discouragement in certain texts, and of course the Psalms leading us often through it. But this sermon particularly is going to talk about the doctrine of weeping, lamenting, sorrow, tears, crying, and that sometimes that's better. Sometimes that's what we need. And the whole book is the book of Lamentations. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 tells us, To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And verse 4 says, A time, yes, to laugh, but actually first says, A time to weep. Yes, sometimes a time to dance, but it also first says, A time to mourn. There is a place, and often the only place to be with the Lord as a people and as individuals, is crying, 
weeping, expressing our sorrow and letting it pour out to the Lord like an offering, like water, our text says today. To let it go, to let it loose, to let it out. And we'll see in a particular sense in context today. I just heard an interview yesterday uh, with Place for Truth uh, podcast Theology on the Go, one of the ministries of my other employer, the uh, Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. And I had particular interest because it was talking with my Old Testament Hebrew professor, uh, Reverend Dr. C.J. Williams. And I, I always ask him, what books do you advise when I'm starting the next Old Testament book? And he did give me some advice on a particular book in Nehemiah, on commentary on Nehemiah. I'll make sure to get that. He gave me a particular great suggestion for something I used in Exodus with you. And uh, he's actually interested, perhaps, to tune in to our sermons on Nehemiah. Um, but I was very interested to hear uh, this interview about the book that he wrote, The Shadow of Christ in the Book of Lamentations. Uh, he has another book, The Shadow of Christ in the Book of Job, which I'd, I'd really love to, to look at sometime. And there's, of course, some interesting overlap thinking about that. But he was being interviewed about the shadow of Christ in the book of Lamentations, where we are today, and why we're going to think about it today, much uh, as we are uh, guided by uh, his summary of the book, an emphasis of it. And the book is about a time to cry. The book is about a time to weep, and to weep heavily, and to weep openly before the Lord. It has to be. Sometimes that's the only appropriate response. And beloved, I hope this will be a a great blessing to you, because I don't think the church is preaching that a lot today. For sins, let alone just for whatever we need to bring before the Lord. And so we are limited in our ability to be healed and cleansed restored. But God calls upon his people to quickly and completely come clean before his face so that their sad faces will be tears of reviving water together living with him. I give you that as the main idea of what we're focusing on in our our text today. God calls upon his people to quickly and completely come clean Before his face, so that their sad faces will be tears of reviving water together living with him. In the interview on this podcast, when they asked Dr. Williams about practical applications of the book of Lamentations, and they were saying, you know, it seems like we don't know how to lament anymore. We don't know we can lament, and can you tell us about that? And what are some practical applications? They'd read the book, they said it was. Really terrific, emphasizing Christ. But also, you know, they said, I, don't, I think we need help. And the great thing is throughout the book, not just at the end, you give some practical applications. Could you share a little bit about that with us? And, and what he shared was striking to me. He said, the book helps people have the right response to any hardship in a call to worship and a reminder of humility that we are, as he said, quote, animated dust. He said, even in God's chastening, uh, lamenting begins with humbling ourselves before God's sight and laying hope of him in the gospel. Offering of grief to God in repentance and self-examination and laying hold of hope in a fresh way. 
He says, in this book of Lamentations, we see Jerusalem found her voice of supplication in a response to her suffering loss. So much of the book is the church saying how much we have lost. It's crying out over it. He says, it's those moments when we find our voice of supplication by the Holy Spirit to draw near to God in a fresh way with formalities stripped away, pouring out our heart like water, which is what we're focusing in the text today. And he says that is a key line in Lamentations, pouring out our heart like water. He says Lamentations gives us perspective to help us handle the hardest moments, chastening of life. You can think of Hebrews 3. As those moments, we ought to strive to be closest to the Lord. Those hardest, most difficult moments is an opportunity to pour out our hearts and weep before the Lord. And those are the times we can get the closest to him. You can think about where Psalm 73 goes and ends. But here's what really struck me about what he shared. The lesson put him to the test. Or rather, his study of Lamentations was put to the test for him. He shared about how God helped him during a time to cry with the book of Lamentations when he lost many close family members over a two-year period. He shared while he was writing his sermons on Lamentations, his father died. While he was writing the book's manuscript on Lamentations from those sermons, his mother died. And just when the book came out, the book on Lamentations came out, his brother died. He said, working through Lamentations in these different ways, at these difficult times that he experienced, he said, the Lord used it for such good and comfort in my own life. And he said, I hope others will experience this comfort as well. May the Lord grant that today as he would work in us to pour out our hearts like water before him. Now, while Dr. Williams did not discuss crying directly, he said lamentations helped him a lot through this grief. And he referenced the section of this verse that I'd like to today with the very rainy season around us as our reference. I want you to think about all the rain All the water pouring down. Just think about tomorrow and all that rain pouring down. And have that image for you as what is being said in the text and what is just simply being said to you with the text today. The sermon pretty much reflects this scripture. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. That is the message for you today from our text, quoting our text. Pour out your heart like water. Water before the Lord. Let your heart gush out with tears. Let your heart gush out with tears, with weeping. Think about flowing water again, the rain. What's natural about flowing water? You let the water go, it's just immediate, it's continual, it's as much as the opening allows, and once you open it up, it just gushes out and flows. And in this case, a lot. 
like the opening of a dam where the water's been building and it needs to be let out before the Lord or it will break the dam of ourselves. It needs to be let out. Or think again of the showers of the rainy season. All that's building up, we need to pour out before the Lord. The guilt of our sins, the sorrow of the effect of sins in our lives, crying out before the Lord with our grief and our sadness, needs to be like pouring out water from a pitcher. Just have that image before you. The water just pouring out. It just goes. It just flows. It's unrestrained once it's opened. And it moves. So our verse says, pour out as water your heart. Literally the the word order in the Hebrew there, I think I reflected. Pour out as water your heart. Or as in our text translated, pour out thine heart like water. Pour out thine heart like water. I want you to really meditate on this image. There's a reason God speaks to us in these figurative expressions. It represents crying out, which the verse starts that way. Cry out. Could almost be translated sing. Remember the Psalms are often crying out to God in worship. Coming to him in worship. And remember, that's what lamentation is. It's not just grieving, but it's grieving coming unto the Lord. Crying out. Pour out your water, pour out your heart as water. It's spiritual and emotional release and a flow of your soul. The scriptures often allow and even command lamenting, that is, crying, weeping, expression of your pain and sorrow, which often will be seen in water pouring out of your eyes. Or welling up there. Now, many scriptures we could go to, but just in the Lamentations alone, we want to see this. In our verse, it speaks of crying and tears coming out. But it's all through this book. Look back with me at chapter 1, verse 2. Speaking of the church in the collective singular, she, she weepeth sore in the night. And her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Look at verse 4. The ways of Zion do mourn. Because none come to the solemn feast. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted. And she is in bitterness. Look at verses 11 and 12. All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their pleasant things for meat to relieve the soul. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am become vile. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see, if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Look at verse 16. For these things I weep. Mine eye, mine eye runneth down with water because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. Look at verse 20. Behold, O Lord, for I am in distress. My bowels are troubled. Mine heart is turned within me, for I have grievously rebelled. Abroad the sword bereaveth. At home 
there is as death. Look ahead to chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit upon the ground and keep silence. They have cast up dust upon their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloths. Sackcloth, the virgins of Jerusalem hang down their heads to the ground. Mine eyes do fail with tears. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because the children and the sucklings swoon in the streets of the city. Notice how often there's this reference to the children, just as in our text today. This grieving over the effect on our children. Look at chapter 3, verses 48 to 51 to begin with. Chapter 3, beginning with verse 48. My eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission. Till the Lord look down and behold from heaven. Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. Now look ahead to verse 56. Thou hast heard my voice. Hide not thine ear at my breathing, at my cry. Now look ahead to chapter 5, verse 15. And again, remember our verse today, but chapter 5, verse 15. The joy of our heart is ceased. Our dance is turned into mourning. Now I know the Psalms speak of the Lord reversing that the other way, but this is where it has to start. There's a place if we don't open our hearts before the Lord in weeping and tears, there's no way to get to that joy of the Lord of our, as our strength that Nehemiah talks about. That was after they were weeping over their sins. I hope this is liberating for you. To cry. Our Western culture doesn't allow us to cry. But it's not biblical. It's horrible. We're supposed to act like we're so strong, but we only have strength in the Lord. And the Lord Jesus even wept before he raised Lazarus from the dead and it showed his love, it says. Even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. We are allowed and even commanded to weep and cry. Pour out our hearts like water, not just a little bit. Open up, let it loose, have a release. Isn't that what happens when we cry? It's like, you know, I have a family member I fear for has said to me on occasion, I can't cry. So that's scary. That's a, that's a problem. And there is no release. It's very evident there's no release and there's no change. There's no rejuvenation. Heavy crying is very scriptural, especially when suffering. Like David and Jonathan, weeping together over what was happening. Very manly. Job 3, verse 24, Job had reason to cry. He said, for my sighing cometh before I eat, and my roaring are poured out like the waters. Job is saying he's doing what we're being told. Remember, this is a command today in our text. 
Pour out your heart like waters. It's a command from God. Weep. Lament. Proverbs 14, verse 13. Even in laughter, the heart's is sorrowful and in the excuse me and the end of that mirth is heaviness remember we live in a broken world under the curse and wrath of god because of sin and we're all dying and will die as an example of it and funerals by the way should be a place where you can cry not pretend everything's so happy Give me a break. Romans 12, verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice at the right time, but at other times, and weep with them that weep. Beloved, may we be a church where it's safe to come in and laugh, and it's safe to come in and cry, and pour out our hearts like water before the Lord and to one another, that we can be real, and something can happen. And we're not just trying to pretend we're a bunch of holy robots that don't know what life really is. Painful and sorrowful until heaven. Not without the rejoicing in the Lord along the way, but we need that proper balance. After all, this is really a group cry as God's collective people in Lamentations. Cry out, as in many of the Psalms, again a means of praise, but also petition and open, vulnerable emotion. One of the Psalms speaks of collecting all the tears in a bottle. Some of them speak of my tears upon my pillow at night. Bear your hearts before the Lord. Don't hold back. Pour out your souls, beloved. I have been praying for you. Is the Holy Spirit working on you? Are you struggling? You know you need to let it go, but you're careful. You're not sure. Let it out. Let it loose. It wouldn't be the first time people cry in these pews. And I pray it's not the last. This is where the Lord does revival and reformation. This is where he brings life. In the death of self, in crying out to he who is life. Now you're going to get wet. And you're going to get clean. Weep over your sins before God and be washed clean with fresh life. Let your hearts gush out with tears that you can weep over your sins before God and be washed clean with fresh life. Because when water is let to flow, it goes only one direction, that of gravity, and wherever it's found flowing, the dry ground gives life. We're told to pour out our hearts like water, but where and how and why? Before the face of the Lord. Lamentations is calling us to repent, to lament over our sins. And beloved, as much as we have plenty of reason and should be crying and lamenting over the effects of sin upon us and the sins of others upon us, what you and I need to cry out more than anything else is over our sins, over my sin, over the fact that I choose too often to rebel against God rather than live for Him in love. And I bring that consequence on myself 
and my family and my church and my lack of a witness before the Lord. Cry out over my sins. Perhaps some of us need to cry out for the first time over our sins that we would be saved in Jesus from them. But if we don't cry out over our sins before Jesus, we'll never have anything to be rejoicing about. We'll be crying in hell forever over them. And that's not the point. The point is to get us from being in hell, to save us from what they're experiencing as a living hell. This is a call for repentance. It's a call to sorrow over our sins particularly and where they have brought us. And notice how often the frequent reference to our children. Weeping Jeremiah the prophet has this other prophecy, this other letter to a people who are in dispersion, who have lost everything. Because of their sins. This is a message America needs, by the way. But it doesn't want to hear it. Including many who call themselves Christians and conservative. We need to be called out to cry over our sins against God as a people. If we want any real rejoicing to come of it. These people are being brought to their knees. They're finally crying out. All that we've lost is because of us, not others. Us. Us. The Lord brings it upon us for our sins, my sins. And it's time for me to cry out to the Lord like water about it. If there's going to be any cleansing. Now, while the water pours out with gravity down, it is essentially going up. We're called to cry up unto the Lord. But that means our bowing down before him with our tears, falling down our face, dripping onto the ground. Weeping over something specific, and that is the sins of the nation, the sins of God's people against him. They're also crying out about the severe punishment of God. Just as we saw in Exodus today for the golden calves. The severe punishment of God upon his people. For their sins as a people against him. The proper response is not more rebellion and complaining as often was the case. As our example not to follow. 1 Corinthians 10. The proper response is weeping. Crying. Have mercy. Not self-justification. Look with me at the beginning. We're only going to look at the bookends of the letter to see that this is the context. If you read through the letter and it's very brief, excuse me, the book, uh, I encourage you to do that. It's only five chapters. It's very brief. You will see that all through this book, it's about crying out over all they have lost as God's people because of their sins against God. And all of their pain and suffering, as you've seen in some of those verses about crying, are actually from God's heavy hand. That we would humble ourselves and then be lifted up in him. But let's just see a little bit to get a sense of the context. Chapter 1, verse 1. How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How is she become as a widow? See, that was great among the nations and princes among the provinces. How is she become tributary? Look at verse 3. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. Look at verse 5. Her adversaries are the chief. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord hath afflicted her. 
for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. Notice the children again. Think of what's spoken of in Exodus and Ten Commandments. The effects of our sin upon our children. What we bring them into. What we lead them into. Or lead them out of in love and keeping his commandments. But notice, this is God's heavy hand of judgment and discipline upon his people. And they're brought low on their knees. They're not blaming other nations. Demanding their rights. They're recognizing their sins and God brought these nations upon them that they would bow on their knee and claim the rights of Christ. Now look with me to the end of the book to see the same thing. Even though we're going to recognize the the good news in the middle as it's meant to emphasize by the structure, I'll explain in a moment. Look at the end of the chapter, chapter 5, verse 20 and 22. This is the situation they're crying out over. This is what they're being told to cry out over. Verse 20, chapter 5. Wherefore dost thou forget us forever and forsake us so long time? God has sent them away from the promised land into a foreign land under the yoke of a wicked, ungodly people. And it's as if they've been forgotten. And then verse 22, the book closes with this verse. But thou hast utterly rejected us. Thou art very wroth against us. That's the end of the book. But you see, what I want you to recognize, uh, there is a, there's a context here. God's heavy hand of affliction to discipline a rebellious people and cause them to repent. They're being told in our verse, cry out, your hearts like water, pour them out before the Lord. Repent over your sins and be sorry for them. That's part of what it is to have repentance unto life, remember and then be restored through Christ's cry on the cross. What I want you to recognize is I showed you the beginning and the end. Chapters 1 and 2, chapters 4 and 5 are fairly parallel. It isn't that there's not development, but there's a fairly parallel thing being said. This is a common Hebrews poetic structure. Remember the prophets especially often speak in a more poetic structure. And there's something called a chiasm. Uh, if you've ever heard this before, Uh, There is a structure at the beginning and the end that is similar, which is emphasizing what's different in the middle. So the middle is being lifted up and highlighted. So the main thing to be seen here in the book is the middle, chapter 3. But you want to recognize the context are the chapters around it on both sides, a parallel about our sorrow, our loss, God's punishment, the effects of it on our children. And the middle is that we need to Come to Jesus. The center of it is Christ. The chiasm, the poetic structure of the matching bookends emphasizes the center as the central theme. And I want to share with you more of what Dr. Williams explained about the Christ-centeredness of this book that his book is drawing out as he spoke in this interview on the podcast. He said this, and again, I'm giving you pretty much what he said, not an exact quote, but this is what he's sharing. The great feature of this book, the book of Lamentations, is the turning over of the voices of the book. There is the voice of the narrator. There's the voice of the, the plural voice of the people. And then there is the singular voice that interjects and takes the forefront in chapter 3. Beloved, it's the voice of Christ. But let me continue to refer to him. He says, this book is a prophecy of weeping Jeremiah foreshadowing Christ. 
We can see Christ in the first person in chapter 3. The singular, innocent, male sufferer under God's wrath and the persecution of the people. He even describes his own death and resurrection in chapter 3. The singular sufferer takes the spotlight in this book about the suffering of God's people to present as the vicarious sufferer foreseeing the work of Christ. He explains there are five poems in Lamentation, these five chapters. And he says, undoubtedly, chapter 3 is the pinnacle, the chiastic centerpiece of the book. Before and after, he explains, there are scenes of devastation and suffering with a little bit of his voice. But in chapter 3, he steps from the shadows as the suffering servant. As he describes his suffering, death, and resurrection right in the midst of that is where you find the little island that everyone knows. He jokes, we got to know the context. Verses 22 and 23, we like to put them up on a magnet on our refrigerator, but we've got to know the context. How do we get verses 22 to 23? It's from Christ, the one speaking about his suffering on our behalf in chapter 3 to take away our suffering all around it. He goes on to say, amazingly enough, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. The first point where we hear the plural and positive voice, chapter 3, verses 22 to 23, it's in the context of this one suffering man and only because of his suffering can God's people say, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. That's the message of this book. That's the message of God's people. Pouring out our hearts like water unto him, sorrowing over the effects of sin, especially our own, seeking to have his mercy in Christ who suffers for us and cries out perfectly. But look at chapter 3. I want you to see the central voice of Jesus Christ in this prophecy For them at the time and for us in the fulfillment of Christ for his church. Chapter 3 verses 1 through 20. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness but not into light. Surely against me is he turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me, encompassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. So much of this imagery is in Psalm 22 we just sang. Verse 11, he hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. 
and thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forget prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Look at verse 30 of chapter 3. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach. All of these prophecies, we see so many in Psalm 22, but remember he's, smite, he's, he's hit, they smite and they hit him in the trial and at the crucifixion. And that idea of his cheek, remember also Isaiah 50, verse 6, they pull the hair of his cheek, his beard. Because he is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Verses 4 and 11 in particular are quoted by Peter in 1 Peter 2.24 that says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. And you see that substitutionary sacrifice of this individual suffering servant voice in chapter 3 of Lamentations to take care of his people in chapters 1 through 2 and 4 and 5, just as it is for us. The prophecy of Christ ultimately as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, that God's people crying out to him through Christ to be forgiven, have atonement and forgiveness in life. And that is the centerpiece of Lamentations. And you're being called upon to cry out to him over your sins today. Thus there is the hope of mercy in it all for all who cry out to God through Christ, who cried out for them. Look at verses 21 to 26, especially have in view 22 and 23. This is, we can say this because of the suffering servant of this chapter. In the midst of all of our suffering we brought upon ourselves, we can be saved as we cry out to God in Christ. And thus we can say this, chapter 3, verse 21, I, This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. That is the pouring out of the heart before him. 31 and 32 of the chapter. For the Lord will not cast us off forever. But though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. And before we continue, I remind you, Hebrews uh, uh, 12, actually, I think I said Hebrews 3 earlier, quoting Proverbs 3. Recognize when the Lord is disciplining you. It's a father as to his children. When the Lord brings difficult things upon you, it's to bring you closer to him. During one of my most horrible losses of my life, of great grief and lamentation, my good and godly pastor brought me to Hebrews 12 carefully, wisely, and said, the Lord is bringing this to you, but it's for your good. And the Lord is bringing us to cry and often brings things in our lives to bring us to him that we have life in Christ. 
Whatever losses we have in this life, the Lord would use it to bring you to gain life eternal in him. And sometimes, really all the time, it's that grieving and crying over our losses, all related to sin, that is what brings us to life in him. It is because of Christ on the cross and his cry of Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There is hope in the midst of the message of despair for terrible discipline over unrepentant sins. Dr. Williams gives us the definition of lamentation. It isn't an ungodly sorrow. Remember, Paul talks about that in Corinthians. It's not an ungodly sorrow like the world. It's a regret over the effects alone. But it is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to life and restoration with God. He says, lamentation is not just an expression of grief. It's part of it, and it's been emphasized today. It needs to be there. It's not just that. It is a drawing near to God in grief with certain elements meant to put an end to that grief so that it ends in hope. Lamentation shows us, he says, the grieving process with hope for a believer. And that's why it's good. That's why it's good to cry. That's why it's good to lament. Because we have hope in God through Christ when we cry out over our sins, the effects of sins in this world, and all the loss, namely the loss of the presence of God in heaven that is restored in Christ who cried out for us on the cross. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 2 to 4. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. And the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance of the heart is made better. Excuse me, the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Some translations have it a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Beloved, Jesus poured out himself like water so that you can respond like that. Psalm twenty-two, fourteen, that you have sung today. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. And again, remember when they pierced him, his heart did pour out like water mixed with blood. So you can pour out your heart like water before the Lord and be saved in him. Sorrowful, crying over your sins. So that you can put out your heart like water. So that you can pour out your heart like water in repentance before him. And do so, beloved, today. While today is today, the scriptures call on you to do this today. That God's wrath would no longer pour out on you like water. Hosea 5, verse 10, Revelation 16, 4, speak of God's wrath pouring out on us like water. You don't want the dam of the floods of judgment like Noah on you forever in hell, where you'll always cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Let it be Christ pouring out of himself on the cross with that heart's cry that you can pour out your heart in repentance and be saved and given life in him. Don't wait Let us all pray, chapter 3, verses 40 to 41. 
Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. We have transgressed and have rebelled. Thou hast not pardoned. Sorry, verse 40. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. Verse 58. O Lord, thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul. Thou hast redeemed my life. That will be ultimately the blessing. And look at verse 21 of chapter 5. This needs to be our response. This needs to be our heart's cry as God's people and individuals today. In the midst of the destruction around it. Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. May the Lord grant that, that truly more and more we are walking in the old paths in the right ways so that we do have rest for our souls. But we've got to ask God to do it. Struggling to let the dam release, the Holy Spirit has to touch your heart and make it happen. May the Holy Spirit touch you today and cause you to release and cry out to the Lord in sorrow for your sins. To be saved in Jesus Pour out in his life like water on the cross. To be refreshed. To be renewed. To be sanctified more in Jesus. That you would have reason to rejoice. In the joy of the Lord is your strength. That you would have reason to have those happy times of mirth and laughter. Because you've prepared the way for it. You've cleansed the way for it. May we be responding as chapter 2. Verse 18, their heart cried unto the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears run down like a river, day and night, give thyself no rest, let not the apple of thine eye cease. Now the word's going to tell you to stop crying, especially over your sins. And too much of the church is going to tell you to stop crying, especially over your sins. But here the Lord is saying to you very clearly in verse 19, Arise, cry out in the night, in the beginning of the watches, pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thine hands toward him for the life of thy young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. We need to say that we're going to let our tears run down like a river day and night, for God is telling us to pour out our hearts like water before him. Otherwise... If we don't, not just in this life, but the biggest issue is the life to come, in either heaven or hell. Jesus warns in Luke chapter 6, verse 25, Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. If you will not pour out your heart to the Lord now, you will be weeping forever in hell. Turn to him on the cross, pour it out there like water, so that you have laughter in heaven and the joy of the Lord. James 4, verses 9 to 10. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. 
after we cry to the Lord just as any child and we are through our discipline and we are truly repentant, there is the there, there, it's over. Now let's get up. Repentance is to be for restoration with God. Repentance is to be rejuvenation within ourselves. God's goodness is meant to lead you to repentance. That is to lead you back to him and be restored in him in the joy of the Lord. Crying. Cleansing. By coming clean. And being made clean. Truly. It looks like pouring out your souls like water. Again, I want you to look around during this rainy season. Water pouring out from heaven everywhere. And what is the result? Lots of new life. Lots of green and refreshment. Maybe you need to do this for the first time. Repent and be restored. And we always need to be repenting. Maybe you need to repent particularly over something significant in your life in a meaningful way. And you know it. Repent while today is today. Release the tears. Pour out your soul before the Lord crying out over your sins. Now. A time of flowing out of sadness over sin so that you would be washed clean. The only way to truly have a merry heart for medicine is to have Christ, the great physician, operate on your heart. Give you a new heart that pours out all the poison of sin and sadness before him. And have his living waters of the Holy Spirit bubbling up and running through and out of your hearts. And that happens by your open, vulnerable, grieving over sin and desiring his refreshing life as the means. Beloved, pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. That is the part of our verse we focus on this morning. Focus on the rain and its effects all around you. And let it be by God's grace, you take it to heart and pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. By his grace, when you do, your face will be lifted up. Those tears will be dried with the promise that in heaven, for those who turn to Christ, poured himself on the cross like water for our sins, there will be no more tears. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, we confess our sins before you, that they are very great. We feel the weight of them when we are willing to look at them and cry over them, and their effects in our life and upon others, but most Horribly against you. I pray, Lord, that you would bring salvation, causing those to cry out, pouring their hearts out to you. Before your face, looking to the face of Jesus, who cried out on the cross and poured out his soul like water. That we can come to you and do the same, crying out over our sins and be saved and given life in him and his perfect life.
that we can indeed enjoy eternal life with you in the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no death and there will be no more tears. But now, Lord, grant that we would pour out our tears and our hearts cry before you that you would forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and restore us to the joy of the Lord truly as our strength that we would then truly be walking and leaping and praising God. And we pray in Jesus' name and all your people said, Amen.